Here in Austin, Texas, we are experiencing some serious weather problems. Consequently, we have called off church. So I'm in my study, and I'm going to teach the importance of doctrine, or you could say the doctrine of the importance of doctrine. And there will be an audio lesson and a written lesson on the internet, either today or tomorrow. But uh, we're having freezing precipitation right now. The wife and I just went up to church and checked on the weather conditions and the water conditions, etc. So now we're home and we're ready to start the importance of doctrine. Let's begin with the definition. As used in this categorical study, doctrine is the content of scripture exegeted and taught categorically by a pastor teacher in a local church. Colonel R.B. Theme developed an acrostic to communicate the way doctrine should be taught in the local church. He used the uh, designation of ICE, I-C-E, as an acronym for I for isagogics, C for categories, and E for exegesis. I have uh, amplified it somewhat. So I provided that chart for you. Let me give you the definitions, first of all, of isagogics. Uh, it stands for introduction, meaning those facts which introduce historical nuances and background information about the book, that is the book that in the Bible, in the Bible that is being taught, things about the author and the historical setting. And then the C stands for categories, meaning a study of a subject found throughout the Bible as opposed to an eclectic approach. And then E for exegesis meaning a critical analysis of the Bible performed from a study of the original language using the best manuscripts available. And then the D stands for dispensation. And we have on our website as well as our podcast uh, the doctrine of dispensations. Uh, And of course dispensation means, or the D stands, for an analysis of the biblical passage or passages given the epoch to which the scripture relates. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17, we find that doctrine is stressed as the means for performing the Christian life. And I shall read 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me say that uh, The very end of verse 17 is really better translated that you will be thoroughly uh, able to uh, perform the good works that God would have for you to do. Not that you be perfect, but uh, you'll be ready 
to do what God would have for you to do because he will have prepared you. A scripture, however, again, must be interpreted based on a complete and thorough exegesis. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 summarizes the process for acquiring doctrine. In an earlier study of the book of Second Peter, I exegeted and analyzed verses 2 through 8, and rather than repeat that and go through an extensive review, I want to simply present an expanded translation from what we learned in our earlier study. All right, expanded translation now. Let's go to First Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Here we go. God's wonderful plan for your life and the peace and stability that comes from that plan, I want it for each of you. However, you must, however, you must realize it can only come from Bible doctrine metabolized in your soul where the full knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes more real than reality. For you see, God's divine power has provided everything that pertains to your life in time. Your spiritual life is a product of the doctrine you have in your soul. God called you for the solitary purpose of glorifying Him, that is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as one. Let me say something about metabolized in your soul. This word metabolized doctrine, again, is a Colonel R.B. theme word because uh, he is... He has been, of course, he's with the Lord now, but uh, he is, has been really great at coming up with things like metabolized doctrine. So he relates the intake of the Word of God and how God gets Bible doctrine to the place where it's supposed to be, and it can best be utilized just as food does the same thing. So let's go through the definition here and how he used it. First of all, uh, he says, when you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ show up where Bible doctrine is taught, primarily in the local church or wherever, uh, it's, it's equal to or very similar to showing up uh, at the dinner table. You hear the dinner bell. The dinner bell rings and you come. So the church opens its doors and you go. Now you go enter, of course, sitting down at the table and your food is served to you and you put it in your mouth and you chew it up. And uh, it's really grace because somebody prepared it for you and provided just as a pastor prepares food for you in the local church, which is the teaching of the Word of God. Now you chew the food up, and interestingly enough, you're going to swallow the food, and that is so related to grace, because you have a little thing called the epiglottis. When you swallow, the epiglottis is going to direct the food to either your lungs, which will kill you, or it's going to direct it 
to the uh, esophagus, where it's going to ultimately end up in the stomach. And that's grace. You don't have to tell your epiglottis, hey, here it comes, and uh, it goes into your epiglottis and ultimately your stomach. No, it's grace. And so also the Holy Spirit, when you come into the church and you sit down and you name your sin back to God, now you're ready, the pastor teacher teaches, and that word is going to get to the right place. Uh, just as the food that you swallowed got to the epiglottis. And the word is going to get to where it's supposed to be to help you grow as a Christian. So where the full knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes more real than reality, that's what happens with metabolized doctrine. Just as food will ultimately get into the stomach and into the bloodstream and will bathe the various souls in your body to make them healthy and functional, so also does the Holy Spirit. As you hear the dinner bell, you go in, you sit down, you name your sin back to God, you take in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit gets it to the places where it is needed. In other words, your areas of weakness and your areas of strength, etc. All right, now let's go to so much for Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Now let's look at verse 3. We begin with Gar, for you see, by way of additional explanation. So here we go. For you see, God's divine power has provided everything that pertains to your life in time. Your spiritual life is a product of the doctrine you have in your soul. God called you for the solitary purpose of glorifying Him, as we've noted. Now let's look at verses 4 and 5. To facilitate our progress in the Christian life, God has provided in Scripture many great and precious promises. And it is by the inculcation of these marvelous promises that you become partakers of a divine nature, having escaped the control and domination of your old sin nature. Verse 5, And because of God's grace... There are several protocols which must be added to your faith, that is, your faith in Christ. For example, to your faith, you must add the consistent intake of the Word of God, and to this virtue, you have to keep on adding more doctrine. The transforming of the mind is a never-ending task, and it is a result of using two power options. Once again, a themeism. All right, Romans 12.1 names the first power option, describes the first power option. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, there's no way in the flesh that you can present your body a living sacrifice. We just can't gut it up and do it. So God has provided a grace mechanism for performing verse 1. And that is rebound. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that is the means of performing power option number 1. Rebound. Now let's look at verse 2. You have to add to that the intake of the word. 
Verse 2, Romans chapter 12, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you want to know the will of God? Okay, use the two power options. Get into the word after having named your sin back to God so that the Holy Spirit can teach you. Now let's go to verse 6. 2 Peter chapter 1. And to your newly acquired doctrine you must add self-control, organized thinking, and patience as you continue metabolizing the Word of God. Even when it is inconvenient, consistently making application of that which you have learned. Now verse 7, and to that application, you must learn to appreciate your very own spiritual life. And we all have one. Even while we live smack in the middle of the devil's world. And to this appreciation, you must acquire a thorough understanding of God's protocols some of which are very difficult and, frankly, quite illogical. For example, example, you are to pray for your enemies. You are to do good to those who abuse you. You are to give thanks in all things. And you are to pray regularly. You are to use your freedom in Christ as a liberty, not a license. Liberty not a license. There are some things you may have the liberty to do, but not the license. Because you may be offended uh, or offensive to some other believer, so you refrain. I'll not get into that, but uh, you might want to look at our doctrine of drinking found uh, on the uh, internet under Pastor Merritt's study books, which explain to you that it's okay to to drink alcoholic beverages so long as you do it in, uh, you, you don't get drunk, in other words. In other words, drinking, again, may be your liberty as long as you do it with discretion and you don't do it in front of someone who may be offended. But I don't want to get into that. Inside, I didn't want to get into that, and then I did get into that, didn't I? Now let's go to verse 8. Now, if the protocols listed in verses 2 through 7 are resident in your soul, you will not be devoid of divine good. For these precious promises will make you a living testimony of Him who called you. called us as ambassadors for time. Alright, now let's go on and let's take a look at the negative. Now let's study Second Peter 1, 9, where the plight of the negative believer is set forth. In verse 9, we find a description of the poor Christian who has not added to his or her faith the cast of characters demanded in the first eight verses of Second Peter chapter 2, which we just covered. It says, but, that's but in contrast for not... Uh, adding the cast of characters. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And here is a terrible phrase. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's a description of the believer who has going to go to heaven because he's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's not going to grow because he doesn't want to grow. 
and unfortunately that person may even forget he was ever purged from his old sins. Terrible situation, isn't it? Alright, now this verse, that is verse 9, does have some translation problems. Let's look at them, for example. But the UT in English is actually a poor translation of gar, the explanatory particle. Gar is better translated for you see, even literally for you see by way of additional explanation. The phrase, he that lacketh these things, is better translated to whom these things are not present. Instead of speaking of the assembled characters belonging to the Christian, the verse indicates they may be present, but not his or hers settled possession. Alright, because many believers have not followed the protocol plan of God, they wake up in a new world each morning, unaware of their very own spiritual life, and oblivious to the fact they have a spiritual sense of destiny. And all people have that, particularly Christians, a personal sense of destiny. These negative believers are everywhere today. Our churches, by the way, are full of them. And perhaps worse, there are many born-again people who have rejected the church altogether. Now the phrase in verse 9, cannot see afar off, is a translation of the Greek verb muo-apazo, a word used by Aristotle of a nearsighted man. It was also used by the Ecclesiasticus of a man who has seen the light but blinking, he turns away from the light. So muopazo modifies the word tuflos. The adjective modifies the word or the noun tuflos, translated blind. The word blind is better. He screws up his eyes because of the light, seeing only things present and not the heavenly things. People negative to the Word of God can't see spiritual things because doctrine is spiritually discerned. Vincent, who is a great expositor and quoted by many great Bible teachers, has written of the blind soul, quote, He cannot see the things of heaven, though he may be quick enough in regard to worldly matters. He may be a... Oh, uh, great mathematician or engineer or whatever. But he doesn't have much knowledge about spiritual things. So let me repeat that. Vincent has written, He cannot see the things of heaven, though he may be quick enough in regard to worldly matters. Now this phrase, hath forgotten in the Greek text, is literally having taken forgetfulness. The phrase comes from Lombano Lethe, which is better translated, having seized a state of forgetfulness, a state of oblivion. Purged is the Greek verb katharizo, and means to be cleansed. We get our word catheter from that. This is an apt description of the saint who will not use the two power options. Continual or continued refusal 
to take in the word may result in a believer forgetting he was ever saved. This Christian is not what we would call stone blind, but simply lacks even the basics. And that, my friend, is a sad situation indeed. Now let's leave Second Peter and develop further our subject, the importance of doctrine. It is impossible to please God if you do not believe that He is your Savior and that He blesses the believer when the believer uses the two power options. And you remember those were set forth in, uh, again, verses 1 and 2, which we have uh, in chapter excuse me, in chapter 12 of the book of Romans, and I have provided them for you. So, it's important for us to understand. You've got to name your sin back to God. Romans 12, 1, you've got to take in the Word of God consistently. Romans 12, 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable service. Be you not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of the mind. Now let's look at a related verse, Hebrews 11.6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without doctrine you will find your prayers to be an abomination to God. Notice Proverbs chapter 28 verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers shall be an abomination. Now Proverbs 12 verse 1, the first part of that verse tells us the man who loves spiritual growth will love knowledge. 12.1, and this is 12.1a we might say, Whoever loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Alright, notice 12b tells us not a, not to despise discipline. We should accept it and move forward. The man who rebels against the discipline of God is brutish, animal-like. Let me read 28.9. He that turneth away his ear from the hearing of the law, even his prayers shall be in an abomination. Alright, let's go on now with uh, a comparison of this verse that we've just read. Proverbs 12, uh, verse nine, 28 verse 9, and Proverbs 12.1a and b. Let's compare it with Hebrews 4.12 where the anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews declares the power of Scripture, how it cuts to the essence of our soul and our human spirit, discerning our true thoughts and intents. And I shall read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. Bible doctrine was always with God, even from eternity past before time was, before anything was, there was doctrine. Proverbs 8, 22 and 23 also declare the importance 
God places on Bible doctrine. Let me read verses 22 and 23. The Lord possessed wisdom in the beginning of his way before his works of old. Wisdom was set up from the, from everlasting from the beginning before the earth was. Interesting verse. Two verses. So God has magnified his word even before his name and reputation. A clear demonstration of the importance of his word and that's found in Psalm 138, verse 2. Again, I will read. I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The attitude of a believer toward Bible doctrine determines whether he or she receives blessing or discipline in time. Let's take a look at Proverbs again, verse 8, but this time verses 33 through 36. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever findeth doctrine findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against doctrine wrongeth his own soul. And all they that hate me love operational death in time. In other words, being a believer in time but producing nothing. Now let's look at Joshua 1.8 which says the daily study of the word of God will make the believer a unique, a unique success. Now Joshua of course is, uh, is a book which uh, tells us about Joshua who replaced Moses uh, who was going to lead them into the promised land. But uh, he couldn't go because he had been disobedient and will not get into that. He could go up on a mountain and look at the promised land. But Joshua, I like to call him General Joshua, was going to lead them into the land. And here's an admonition that Moses gave to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that you may observe, observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make thy way prosperous, and then you will have a good success. So doctrine is the basis for blessing in time. Very interesting. So what are you going to do, and what am I going to do with Bible doctrine? Psalm 23 verse 6 has much to say of the same subject. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, for I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's a very famous uh, psalm, if you will, of David. And remember, David was from the tribe of Judah, and he was not permitted to go into the temple so when it says he shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's talking about what the house of the Lord was used for, which was to teach Bible doctrine by various training aids. 
go to our podcast under, I guess it's, have a couple of lessons about the temple, and it will explain to you what the training aids were. So David says, I'm going to get into your word just like Moses told Joshua to do. And then uh, I'll be, of course, blessed throughout my life. I'll be happy. All right, doctrine must become more real than reality in the life of a, of a believer. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. You have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. And I provided a useful chart for you there, a chart reflecting a schematic of the soul. The soul has two lobes, a left lobe and a right lobe. Bible doctrine, when it enters your left lobe, is, uh, well, first of all, you got to light the candle. You see the candle in the chart? You could put a light bulb there, bringing it up to modern time. But you light the candle. How do you light the Holy Spirit? Well, you name your sin back to God. Now you got light over there in the left lobe. And when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you got a human spirit. And the Holy Spirit will teach your human spirit so you are without excuse. You have perspicacity. And now then you've got to do something else with it though. You've got to get it over into the right lobe. You want it to be used. And you have to transfer it by faith from the left lobe to the right lobe. And there the day storm, day star is lit up. See your soul before Bible doctrine comes in, before Christ comes in so he can teach you Bible doctrine. It's cold and it's dark and it's dank. And it doesn't produce nothing. But boy, when you name your sin back to God, take in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit teaches your human spirit, and by faith you transfer it over to the right lobe, that's when the, the morning star arises. Sunshine in my soul, as the song says, and you then can produce divine good, which, by the way, is rewardable. See our doctrine of Bema under Pastor Marriage Study Books. So an expanded and corrected translation of Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 20, demands a categorical study of Scripture. Notice how C.I. Schofield translates 1 Peter 1, 20. If you have a Schofield Bible, look at his footnote, and he provides you this translation. He was a great Bible teacher and organizer of Scripture. No one understand no verse should be read and interpreted alone. That is to say, it must not be isolated from what the scripture says elsewhere. In other words, no eclectic. No, take your finger and open up the Bible and let it light on a verse. And that means something without looking at all the other verses that relate to that subject. So in order to function properly in time, every believer is urged, urged, to get under the authority of his or her right pastor-teacher. Notice Hebrews 10.25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And of course you can do that today in many different ways. For example, we have a website, 
And uh, we have both the written and audio lessons of each of our church services, and it's also put on a podcast. So you're kind of without excuse. All you have to do is sit down, listen. Well, you got to turn on the computer, or you got to show up where doctrine is taught. Either one's fine. But uh, in person, or you can do it by using the modern techniques. So let me read 10.25 again. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What's the day approaching? The rapture. Each and every moment is closer to the rapture. None of us know when the rapture is going to occur. Now let's look at verse 7 of Hebrews 13. Remember them which have the rule over you. That's your pastor teacher. Those men who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the result of their modus operandi of studying and teaching. In other words, take Bible doctrine seriously. Then notice verse 17. In other words, don't cross them. It says, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So the pastor-teacher is responsible for studying and teaching, and you're responsible for, again, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. All right, a nation without a pivot of positive believers will fall under the fifth cycle of discipline. As goes the believers in a nation, so goes that nation. Let me read you Hosea 4, 1 and then 4, 6 so that you get the idea. Hear the word of the Lord, says verse 1 of chapter 4, book of Hebrews. I'm sorry, not Hebrews. I think I said Hebrews. Uh, it's Hosea. All right, Hosea 4, 1 and Hosea 4, 6. Excuse me. All right, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, doctrine, no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Now verse 6 gets a little more explicit. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest, it should be no priest's nation to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So the pastor teacher in the local church has the responsibility for communicating doctrine. Notice Ephesians 4, 11, 12, 13, and 14. And he gave some apostles and some prophets. Now those two gifts are gone now. But there are two communication gifts still left. Two communication gifts still left. One is the gift of evangelism and the other is gift of pastor-teachers. You have a poor translation of pastors and teachers and that's what we call the Granville Sharp Rule. And it's the, actually it boils down to where the definite article is placed and I'm not going to get into that though. I think I actually have something in my study books about the Granville Sharp Rule. So it's pastor-teachers. Two communication gifts are left today. The gift of evangelist and the gift of the pastor-teacher. Pastor-teachers, 
one gift. They are pastors and they are to teach. Alright, and why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And there are false teachers out there and we need to be beware. And the way you determine the false teacher is again through the intake of the word under the filling of the spirit. Now let's go on. Doctrine is only found in the written canon. First Peter one eight says having whom excuse me first Peter now one eight whom having not seen you love and whom though now you see him not yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then Galatians one eight and you might as well add one nine there, I only provided for you one eight, but it says But though we are an angel from heaven Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. And then he says, and I repeat. And he says basically the same thing again in verse 9 to uh, emphasize that the scripture is the final authority. Not even if a man, excuse me, not even if an angel speaks to a man, uh, you go by what? we have in the written canon. Now what does doctrine do? Well it produces several attributes, for example, confidence. Second Corinthians five, six, seven, and eight. Therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And then it also provides divine viewpoint. Second Corinthians 10.5 Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And it provides orientation to the plan of God. Romans 8.28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. Uh, and then we can also add, and we know that all things work together, again, for the good to whom? To them who are the called, according to his purpose. Therefore, in everything we can give thanks, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Concerning us, and it's concerning his will. Alright, now let's look also. What does it also provide? Well, it provides a stable mind. Isaiah 26.3 Thou would keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Or Second Peter 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and unlove and a sound mind. And it produces a basis for divine guidance. Again, Romans 12.2 which we've covered. But let's add 12.3. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And then it provides all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice 2 Peter 1, 2, and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue. And then it provides works acceptable to God. You see, metabolized doctrine is the source of Christian production. I want to provide four scriptures which document that metabolized doctrine, and you remember what that is. Doctrine in the soul is the source of Christian production and how we as believers can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. Wonderful two verses. They're all wonderful, of course, but it's, it relates to our subject about works acceptable to God and how metabolized doctrine is the source. They are very descriptive. So here we go. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through and by means of the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then Second Timothy 3.16 and 17, which we often quote, All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then James 1, 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, in other words, sin and evil, and receive with meekness the engrafted word or pregnant word which is going to produce, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Many people do that. They look at the Word. The Holy Spirit teaches the Word and they say, Oh, so what? I'll see you later in heaven. And out the door they go. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the Scripture, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the Word. No, no, no. Work. Production. The Word of God produces. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And we also have in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55:11, when I quite often quote, it says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. No, no. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. <clears throat> All right. 
to avail ourselves of doctrine and thus avoid the catastrophe of being blinded by the lights of the world, we must consistently use our, use our two power options, the intake of the word and the filling of the spirit. This is the only way we can assemble the cast of characters listed by Peter. For many Christians, their spiritual life is simply a one-act play. The first act for them is faith in Christ. But God desires that the show continue and the storyline develop. So to avoid being a one-act play, there must be a disciplined approach to rebound, naming your sin back to God, and study, take in the Word of God under the filling of the Spirit. Rebound and study the consistent use of the two power options. Without the assembled characters, the curtain will never rise on Act 2. A vast audience of unseen witnesses is waiting in the theater. The question perpetually remains, are we willing to claim the promises which lead us to fulfill our very own sense of spiritual destiny. And that ends our lesson for today. We are somewhat disadvantaged given the weather conditions. But uh, I thought we better put something on the internet and the podcast, even though we can have our church in our facility. Now let's close her out with an invitation, an invitation to anyone who may be within the sound of my voice, who is without hope, without Christ, and without eternal life. God wants you to know He had you specially in mind when He went to the cross. You were on His mind. Yes, He was thinking about you as He suffered and died spiritually for all your sins. So if you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are without hope, without eternal life, and you stand uh, uh, condemned as a sinner, you need to do something about that. And uh, though it may seem easy, it was it's easy for us because it was so hard for Him. So all you have to do is tell God the Father, I'm believing on Christ the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. A scripture too, and then I'll ask uh, for our benediction. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Just keep in mind, Christ came unto his own, Israel, but his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become 
the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Now, Father, I would ask that you would uh, take that which I have presented this morning, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.